The retirement planning world is filled with plenty of advice and suggestions, but there are critical questions lurking in the shadows, the unasked and the overlooked. These are the questions that can help define the comfort and security of your retirement future. On this episode, we'll unearth and tackle some of these hidden but essential questions about retirement on the Retirement Success Blueprint. There are many factors that contribute to success, skill, good work habits, positive mental attitude, and of course, proper planning. So let's head to the drafting table and get this retirement success blueprint underway with Michael Stewart of Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. I'm your co-host, Mark Killian. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast this week. Thanks for tuning in to the show as Michael Stewart and I talk about these hidden questions on the podcast this week here on Retirement Success Blueprint. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple, Google, or Spotify, whatever podcasting platform app you like, or stop by and check out all the information Mike has to offer for you at crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com. He is the founder at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. What's going on, my friend? How are you this week? I think it's going great. It's October. The leaves are turning. That's kind of, you know, fall's my favorite time. Yeah, fall's your jam. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's getting crisp outside. It was, uh, you know, I'm down here in North Carolina. We talk about it, these things often, and it's, uh, it was, I don't think it's like 60 this morning or whatever. So it's like, all right, feeling pretty good. You know, not too bad. I think it's still 80 today, but I see, I see some 50s on the horizon. So you know, get that crisp air going, which uh, a lot of people enjoy. And obviously, I lived in Chicago for years, so I know it's, it's turning there as well. Yeah, football season, put some chili on, get grilled yeah, cheese. It's going to go. be a, a good time. Oh, grilled cheese. I hadn't thought about that yet. Oh, yeah. I got to do that pretty soon. All right. You're making me hungry. Let's talk about retirement planning's hidden questions, Mike. Uh, as I teased in the uh, opener here, we got several things that uh, can certainly be there, right? And, and, and a lot of times we know many of these, but we just don't, you know, we don't put a lot of things in practice sometimes until it's a little too late. Humans are certainly uh, good at doing that. So let's start with number one here. How much are my tax-deferred savings actually going to cost me in taxes? Yeah, many people haven't considered the fact that really only a portion of the money. So let's say you got a 401k with a million dollars in it, right? So you've saved a million dollars. You're like, oh, great, I'm a millionaire. Right, you right. don't really have a million dollars because Uncle Sam has some of that too. And there's kind of two issues with that. One is, so let's say, you know, over the last 30 years you saved Three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars, and it grew to that million dollars. You know, mm-hmm. that's typically how your four hundred one k's and things work. It's compounding over time. So you got a tax break on that three hundred you put in pre tax from your paychecks, and now all of a sudden retirement comes around, and you're going to start taking some of that money out. So on that million dollars, it's all taxable. So that just means that you know you got a tax break on the seed, but you're going to pay tax on the harvest. And this, and what makes that matters worse is that we're at the lowest tax rates we've seen in over 40 years. So you don't even know how big of a partner over time Uncle Sam is going to be because if tax rates go up, then the reality is they're a bigger part of that 401k balance. So you definitely need to have a proactive tax planning strategy on when we're going to take distributions from which accounts, just so you understand how to control that tax bill over time. Yeah. And like a lot of things, we, you know, again, we, many of us know this, but we get so used to doing the normal, right? So we've been pumping into this account for 25 years or whatever, let's just say, you know, and you just kind of forget about it. You just kind of, yeah, you know it in the back of your mind, but it doesn't stay up there enough for you to truly think about it until you go to pay or do the thing and you hit, you hit with the tax bill and you're like, oh man, <laughs> right? So be more proactive it, on that. 
No, absolutely. And it happens all the time by having a tax practice in-house. We see that with a lot of, you know, prospective clients or tax-only clients that come through. And, you know, when they get to retirement, they they thought they're going to be in a lower tax bill, but they're actually in the same, if not a higher tax bill. Yeah. 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 And I imagine many times people are, you know, they, they I really, I got to pay that much. And you're like, yeah, did you not think you were going to have to pay the government? No, I knew it, but it just, you know, I didn't realize it was going to be that big. Right. Those are the kind of the conversations that people have a lot of times. So again, these are, they're hidden, but they're also kind of not hidden. Right. So it's, it's a matter of how you want to truly view what's going to be happening as we make that transition into retirement. All right. Number two, how much can I withdraw from my savings each year? Uh, that's the 4% rule is typically what many of us hear, Mike. So let's start there and, and go where you want to go. Yeah. In the, in the 90s, there was a guy, Bill Berger, and it came out and said, you know, what is a safe withdrawal rate? So as, you know, kind of the baby boomer generations kind of getting close to retirement, they were saying, okay, how much can we really take out of a stock bond portfolio over time? And they came up with what's called the 4% rule. And the 4% rule was, you know, you shouldn't run out of money, you know, shouldn't, not won't, but shouldn't run out of money <laughs> right. if you're only withdrawing 4% and you got maybe, you know, 60% stock, 40% bond portfolio, there's a really good chance that you won't run out of money. Doesn't mean right. you'll have a lot left, just means that you shouldn't run out of money. And that was based on kind of back testing where interest rates were and the markets were at the time. Fidelity just came out with a study a couple of years ago because interest rates up until here recently had been, you know, near zero, one, two percent. And they had changed that to say, you know, in the 2020s, that 3.25% is the new safe withdrawal rate because the markets have gotten more volatile. Interest rates historically were a lot lower. So they actually dropped the 4% down to three and a quarter. Now, in our practice, we do it a lot differently. Instead of just hoping the market goes up, hoping that 4% is a good withdrawal rate because, you know, that's what somebody said so 30 years ago. Instead, we take a look at it and say, if we know we need, say, 4% income, Let's get it from cash flow from the investments. And that means that your portfolio is cash flowing in interest and dividends that amount of money. So if you've got that million dollar 401k and you need $40,000 a year of supplemental income to go along with your pension, your social security, whatever your other income sources are, we want to make sure we're getting $40,000 in interest and dividends from the portfolio. And that might be dividend paying stocks. So we still get some growth, keep ahead with inflation, but it's really important that you understand where your income is coming from in retirement, because that's what's really going to be the only assurance that you can have a safe withdrawal rate. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got to understand exactly, you know, again, how we're spreading, spreading this out, excuse me, over the course of our retirement as well. So that's the question number two. Uh, hidden question number three, should I still have life insurance when I'm retired? You know, I mean, again, the normal here is the stuff we've grown up with was, well, you don't need it when you get to a certain age because your kids are out of the house and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the favorite answer, and everybody hates it, is it depends, right? right so right. it's not unusual for a prospective new client to come in. And when we're talking about, you know, not only their investments and their tax situation, their estate planning and that, but, you know, it, it uncovers that, let's say we've had this life insurance policy for 20, 30 years, could be 500,000, could be a million, whatever the, the numbers are. And they're like, do I still need this? I'm still paying on it. You know, or it's term insurance that's about to expire and say, well, do I need to re-up it because it's a lot more expensive because I'm older? Right. The conversation, the first thing that I always say is, what's the purpose of the insurance? Because we know 15, 20 plus years ago when you took it out, you, there was an insured need that you had. Maybe you had a big mortgage on the house. Now that's paid off. Maybe the kids were younger, so you just wanted to make sure that there was income replacement if something happened to you along the way, you know, so the family would be okay. Or maybe it was if something happened to you, you want to make sure there was money available for them to go to college. Well, the thing is, as you age, you kind of age out of a lot of those things. You pay off the house, the kids grow up, the kids go to college, the kids graduate, they go on their own, hopefully. So now at the end of the day, you still have this insurance, 
but do you need it? Well, because really, if you think about cash flow, mm-hmm. do you need to actually be spending money that you could be using for you and your lifestyle on insurance? And the only answer for that is it depends. So right. if leaving a tax-free legacy or helping paying you know, taxes down the road or something like that for the beneficiaries is important, then maybe there's a reason to have life insurance. But if you've saved enough to generate you know, the income for you and your spouse, if you have all these other assets that you've accumulated because you're still with us over time, and that's going to be enough of an inheritance for your beneficiaries, then you really may not need life insurance. Mm, now, okay. there's other uses of life insurance for potential tax-free income for you, some index-linked growth all these other kind of things. But from a strictly death benefit standpoint, you know, do you still have the same insurance needs that you did when you originally took out the policy? Yeah, because I was going to ask you, I was going to say, you know, with income replacement being a lot of times the the thought, I'm gone and I want to make sure the spouse has income coming in because the kids are little, isn't that still a valid argument for being older, right? I mean, okay, you're not, not kids aren't little, but income replacement could still be a useful tool if if your situation calls for it in retirement. Absolutely. It just depends, depends on what you've saved. You know, so if between the survivor benefit and Social Security, survivor benefit, if there's a pension out there, and then the income you can generate off your current assets, we call that plan B when we're putting a, an income plan together for clients is plan A is you're both here, everything's working, you got all the money that you need, you know, live in the retirement you want. And plan B is one of you don't wake up tomorrow. Yeah. Does the income plan still work? And if it does, you know, there's still enough income for, you know, not a diminished lifestyle, but the same lifestyle for the surviving spouse, then we probably don't need life insurance. Okay. If there's a gap in there, then you're correct. Then that that could also be a reason why we need insurance. And therefore, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> therefore, it depends. All right. Uh, number four, what kind of medical coverage will I need over and above Medicare? I mean, it's a great program. It does a lot of things, uh, but it doesn't do everything. No, absolutely. Medicare covers some things, you know, it depends on the supplement that you have, depends on, you know, the whole alphabet soup. Did you take, you know, the Advantage plan? Did you take A to Z? You know, which one did you go for? So, you know, there's always additional costs that come above uh, Medicare. The bigger mistake that we see less on the necessarily the medical healthcare side, as long as they've chosen the right, you know, actual Medicare plan to begin with, you know, which is a whole different show of itself, is things like long-term care. A lot of people think that, well, since that's a healthcare event, if I needed home-based healthcare, or if I was going to go in an assisted living facility, well, Medicare will cover that. And the reality is Medicare won't. Medicare might cover the medical aspects of it, you know, meaning your doctor care, but it won't cover the room and board. It won't cover anything associated with it. So if you've got dementia or physically you need to be in assisted living or something like that, that's going to be 100% out of pocket for you. And then from a healthcare standpoint, we say, okay, if we had a healthcare event, how would we pay for it? Because that's just a simple conversation. And especially if you're married, because what happens if one person needs care, but the other person's fine? Well, if all the money is going towards the other person's care, what kind of lifestyle does the other person have? So the same way we talked about, it depends about life insurance. When it comes down to Medicare, we want to make sure we're on the right plan. We got the right supplements. But even when it comes to long-term care, which is also a health care issue, we want to make sure that we know how we would pay those bills. And sometimes it calls for investigating a long-term care policy. Mm, yeah, great points for sure. All right. So Medicare, that was number four. Uh, fees and commissions. Number five, how much am I really paying? Oftentimes, Mike, what I hear in this situation after you know hosting shows and talking with folks for 10 years is, well, my guy or gal charges me 1%. That's all I pay, right? And so many people get into that, I think, illusion that that's it. And that's just the advisory fee you know, most of the time that they're actually describing versus other things that could be going on. 
No, agreed completely. And I, I think our practice is a great example of it. We talk with clients about pay for the advice because that's really where the value is. Don't pay for the product. And what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of the big Wall Street brokerage firms out there will say, okay, yeah, we charge you a one, one and a half percent advisory fee. And because that's the line item on the statement, that's what people think that they're really paying. But the reality is when you dig into the portfolio and be like, you've got these mutual funds, you've got these exchange traded funds, you know, with all the different names in them, we you know won't mention for sake of today's show, but you know, you got all these different investment companies inside there. The problem with that is each one of those comes with another layer of fees. You just don't see them because they're buried in that prospectus that nobody reads on, mm-hmm. you know, page 138. So the issue is you might be paying the advisor one, one and a half percent, and you may be paying another half or one percent in additional fees on top of that. So really out the door, you're at two, two and a half percent. And that's important because basically if you can keep your fees low, that's just more money in your pocket. It's going to make your plan work out better. You know, there's other kind of things because we do have a tax and estate planning practice in-house as well, is that there's things called tax drag. That's in another layer of fees. Are your investments, are they being operated the most tax efficient way? Are you leveraging, you know, tax loss harvesting, tax gain harvesting, all these other kind of things that really don't have to do with the investments as much as it is tax strategies along the way? Because inadvertently, those are additional fees and costs that you may be undertaking that are unnecessary and voluntary. You know, so that's we'll do a big fee analysis, but we'll also do a tax analysis when we're analyzing portfolios, too, just to make sure they're optimally and efficiently being managed. Yeah, and that's all part of the retirement success blueprint. So if you're not working with Mike and his team at Crystal Lake Tax, uh, then reach out to them and certainly let them know you'd like to have that conversation at crystallaketax.com. I think I said we were going to do five. I'm going to toss one little bonus hidden question at you, Mike, just because it's changed so much over the last, well, it's not changed. It's been brought, well, it has changed, but it's been brought to the forefront more. And that's how inflation can affect you as a retired, you know, retiree or even a pre-retiree because it stays hidden because most of the time we've just been used to dealing with that, you know, 3% or whatever for the last 40 odd years. And obviously for the last couple of years, it's been smacking us right in the face. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then the two biggest things about inflation, you know, a lot of people haven't really paid attention to it because at least according to the government, maybe not where you really spend your money, but according right. to the government, it was only two, 3%, you know, for the last you know couple of decades. And I think they're saying it's back now, down to three again, oh, right? Ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think they're saying it's back to around three or three and a half or four again, but your wallet tells you differently depending on where you're at. No, exactly. You know, because depending on, you know, whether it's core or PCE or all these other different ways that they calculate inflation, some don't figure in housing, in energy, in food. It's like, you know, or healthcare. It's like, well, that's what I spend all my money on. Yeah, now, why, why would it not? Because those <laughs> things are going up six, eight, 10 plus percent, right? So right. You know, the government doesn't want you to see that number. But on the other side, the biggest thing about inflation, you know, if you had to kind of keep it easy, you know, it's a, it's the cost of living, uh, you know, the increases over time because everything kind of sneaks up on you. So it's really the silent thief because basically if everything's costing you a little bit more, whether it's gas, whether it's food, no matter what it is, that just means that's less money that can be spent on something else. So eventually it kind of sneaks up on you and you've got to start making some hard choices like a lot of families have had to over the past few years. The other thing to keep in mind about inflation, especially the past year when the government's touting, hey, hey, we we think we might have this under control. It's going to be a soft landing in the economy because inflation's coming down. All that means is year over year, month over month, things are less more than they were a year ago. And what I mean by that, you know, sounds weird, but it means that let's say they say inflation now is 4%. Well, that just means, and it's coming down from where we were at nine, eight, seven, six, you know, over the past year. But the reality, that just means that everything is still 4% more expensive than it was a year ago. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's so, so it just compounds over time. It's not like when inflation's coming down, they're giving back money to you. 
It just means you're increasing at a slower rate. So it's important to understand. And then as you allocate your assets, as you build in your plan, we have clients come in and say, you know what? I want to be super conservative. Just stick it in treasuries and CDs or bonds or something like that. I just want to earn a 5% rate. And that's great. You get a million bucks, you make $50,000 in interest or dividends. But the issue is there will be no growth in that. So the problem is in three years, five years, seven years, you still have the same million dollars. And that's great. You didn't lose anything. But now maybe everything's costing you 15, 20% more than it did before. So your lifestyle starts pulling back a little bit. So that's why we always encourage you got to have some market linked or some kind of market exposure at a comparable amount to, you know, your risk capacity, but making sure that you have something that can grow and keep up with inflation so you can get a rising income over time. Yeah. And again, I think many of us realize that, you know, but we kind of associate normal inflation and, you know, you just don't really think about stretching it out. We, we have a real problem looking down the road often as humans. We, we kind of look at the problem 10 feet in front of our face, you know, versus, you know, 10 miles. And, and retirement is certainly doing that, is looking, you know, 10 years, 20 years down the road, because even though you might be 55 or 57 or 58, uh, God willing, you still got another 20 or 30 years in front of you. So make sure you're having those conversations. Don't forget about some of these hidden questions. And if, again, you need some help, stop by crystallaketax.com and get some time on the calendar with Mike and the team, crystallaketax.com. And drop us a line. We're going to take an email question from Tony to wrap up the podcast in Elk Grove. He says, uh, Michael, I want to leave money to both of my sons when I pass on. I have two rental properties that I want to split evenly. So question, will, a trust, or both? Yeah, that's that's a great thing, Tony. So uh, the estate planning conversation of that, the will, the trust, both, is really more of a function of less what you're trying to leave and more so a function of do you want control over how that gets distributed? You know, so I'm going to simplify this just for all, all of our listeners in general. So if you don't want any control between a will, beneficiary forms, transfer on death arrangements, those kind of things, you can actually bypass probate if you don't want any control, like for almost all of your assets, your bank accounts, your real estate, your investments, your IRAs, all those kind of things can avoid probate just by having transfer on death, beneficiary forms, and the right titling and those kind of things in place. So you don't necessarily need a trust. What a trust does, it allows you control. Let's say you don't want them to receive everything at once, something when you first pass, and then kind of dole it out over you know every year, every five years, 10 years, certain ages, those kind of things. That's where you will require a trust. Now, some people that don't want control still like having a trust. There's a variety of reasons why. And we could do it in a whole, whole show on estate planning. But more importantly, as it relates to, you know, we always talk about taxes on here. So you think about if you've got these rental properties, if you sold them, there's you know depreciation recapture, you're going to have to pay capital gains on the appreciation of the property. There's all these other kind of hidden things that might come out when you pass. They're going to receive what's called a step up in cost basis, which means the value of that real estate at that time is what they will inherit it at. It didn't matter what you did with it prior. So there won't be really a big tax hit on that. There won't be a big tax hit on your non-retirement real assets like your bank accounts, your other things. But where you want to really start considering the tax aspect is on things like looking at like your IRAs, your traditional IRAs, your 401ks, those things, because those might come with a tax bite. You know, so if leaving a legacy is truly important to you, and it sounds like it from uh, this, the nature of this question, is you want to do a deep dive in, one, do you have the right estate planning documents in place, wills, trusts, et cetera, but you also want to understand what's the tax impact to the beneficiaries, because that might impact kind of how you split things up as well. All right. Great question, Tony. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everybody. We always appreciate your time. And as again, as usual, if you've got some questions or concerns about something you heard on this show or any other show, really always talk with a qualified 
certified professional, uh, how it's going to relate to your specific situation. And that is what Mike and his team are here to do. So check them out online, crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com. From Michael Stewart, I'm your host, Mark Kelly, and we'll see you next time here on Retirement Success Blueprint. Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial and Sound Income Strategies, LLC are not associated entities. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial is a franchise of the Retirement Income Source. The Retirement Income Source and Sound Income Strategies, LLC are associated entities.